Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast of the Jayberg Wilk Learning Series. I am Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Beit Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion, but we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybatemadrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. being here. Um, when I was 17, my grandfather died. He died unexpectedly in his sleep the month I graduated from high school, which was also one week after the death of a friend's mother from breast cancer, somewhat less unexpected. And until that point, I think that 17-year-old me would have probably said I was doing okay. Um, but their deaths kind of rocked my world. How could people just die like that? I felt a real desperate need to understand. And at the time, I didn't have very much Jewish wisdom to fall back on. And as I read books, and like many young Jews, explored other faith traditions, I was looking for something I couldn't find. I was looking for a Jewish novel about Jewish wisdom with characters and settings that were familiar to me and written by a Jewish woman for young Jewish women and for all people who are speak seeking spiritually in the Jewish community. And... Um, I wanted this book, like a book that would be a gift of wisdom to the Jewish community. And I set out to write that book. And as I did, I didn't want to create like a new religion. I didn't want to make up Judaism. I didn't want to make up some religion that was sort of like Judaism and pretend that that was Judaism. I actually really wanted to learn what Judy and teach what Jewish tradition really has to offer in terms of wisdom and um, about who we are, our purpose in life, where, where we're coming from, what, what, what it really means to be alive in this world. Um, and Judaism has a lot to say about that, but we don't really talk about it that much. And uh, it's not taught that often. And um, to, so to meet that goal, I've been learning with teachers of Jewish mysticism, especially Rabbi Avraham Sutton, who um, is a student of, Rab, of Rabbi Aryeh Kaplan, among others. And, um, and I've been... Uh, learning the, so, and I should just say that Rav Sutton provided many of the lessons that have formed the basis of what I'm going to be teaching tonight. So um, I'd always wanted to write novels, and I majored in writing in college, but sometimes you find that you have like a plan, God has a different plan. <laughs> so that happened to me, um, and I'm grateful that more than two days, two decades after I started this project in college, I'm finally able to share it and teach it. Um, so in my book, when the main character was a little girl, she received a, a prayer book from her Zadie with his prayer for hair written into the margin, and it said, for Rachel, may she grow into all her gifts. The most important theme of this book is that everyone has gifts to grow into, everyone. Writing this book has been part of my journey of growing into my gifts, and we all, no matter what we've done so far or how old we are, still have gifts to grow into. And my hope is that this book and tonight's learning will help you grow into yours. So um, tonight is an opportunity to learn some Jewish mysticism, specifically a little bit about our souls and our relationship with God. And in my experience, this kind of learning in the Jewish community is pretty rare. 
So we don't talk about it that much. Um, and so tonight, I really encourage you to take this opportunity to learn something new about yourself and about your soul. Uh, so I'd like to begin with the prophetess, um, the short excerpt that's on the front of your source sheet. And just to give you a little bit of setup to that, um, in this story, 17-year-old Rachel is having her own search for wisdom, co coincidentally, after the death of her Zadie. Um, her Zadie being an Orthodox Jewish Holocaust survivor, a man she seemingly had little in common with. And um, she's come to Zadie's synagogue to meet this people charismatic stranger, um, someone she met on Yom Kippur. And he, Yonatan, has a lot to teach her. And this is her first lesson. So I'm going to read it, and then we can talk a little bit about it, and then it will lead us into a more detailed conversation about Jewish mysticism, the soul, our relationship with God. So, um, okay, so I'll read this to you. Actually, does anybody else want to read it? Would you like to read it? Yeah, go ahead. Read it. I've been thinking about what you said on Yom Kippur, he said, about wanting to connect to God. You should know you are already and always connected to the Holy One. He held my gaze. You don't have to do anything to earn it. The connection is already there through your soul. My, ga my gaze drifted away towards the Aron Kodesh at the friend of the synagogue. If I have one, I said. He chuckled. Not that you have one. You are one, a spiritual being dressed in a physical body like all human beings. His words and his weight and his voice, when he said them, reminded me so much of Zadie. I turned back to face him. It was easy to think of him as a spiritual being. His eyes felt warm like flames on my face. The soul is part of the Holy One, he continued, rooted in God, always receiving the gift of God's holy light. As he spoke, I could almost feel it, a holy warmth filling my body. This light is the source of all the blessings of your life. There was something trance-like about listening to Yonatan. As he spoke, the sanctuary seemed to fade into the background. I could only focus on his shining eyes. The Holy One wants to give you tremendous blessing, he continued. Though we struggle to understand, Hashem is always guiding the world to its destination. In the end, we will find that everything we experience is part of a larger story, all for a a purpose, all ultimately for good. His words dance like crystals in sunlight. Just for this one moment, I believe, before you were born, your soul saw the world as it could be, all of its possible perfection. Then your soul saw the world as it is. An angel asked you, what will you do in your life to help bring the world closer to perfection? What you answered is your life's purpose. Zadie's face swam in front of my eyes, his long white beard, his black hat, his earnest brown eyes. May he grow into all of her gifts. I leaned toward Jonathan. What's my purpose? He turned one hand upward, entreating, me, entreating towards me. I think that that will be revealed to you, he said, in the right time. Great. Thank you so much for reading that. I'm going to put this back on here. That's it. So, um, so let's talk about this a little bit. So um, this is the introductory lesson that's based in Jewish wisdom, and it provides some context for the main character as she begins to understand herself as a Jew and ultimately as a prophetess. So I should say that um, Jewish tradition teaches that prophecy ended a long time ago, 
And uh, so far as I know, that's still true. <laughs> There's no such, there aren't any Jewish prophets right now um, call, t communicating um, God's wisdom directly um, in a clear way. Um, this book uh, is a novel, and so it um, imagines what it would be like if there were a secret community of Jewish prophets that had carried that tradition on through the, um, from, from the ancient prophets that had carried that tradition, but nobody knows about them. It's a secret. And this girl in the story is called to join this secret community. And it creates an opportunity for us to learn some of the mystical teachings that those prophets might be learning if they existed today. Um, so, um, so we should be clear that that's not what's happening today. That's the sort of magical part about the story. Whereas, but all the Jewish wisdom in the story is based on true, real Jewish wisdom. And maybe one day we'll have prophets again, and um, this is the Jewish wisdom that is um, underpinning that. So, um, so, but this lesson here happens long before the main character has any idea that she's being called to be a prophetess. Um, it is the sort of foundational conversation that um, helps her begin to understand who she is as a Jew. And so I'd like to ask what aspects of this lesson resonate with you? Can I ask a question? Um, I don't know what the word spirituality means. Mm -hmm. I don't know if not having spirituality is bad. Um, I don't know what the goal of spirituality is. I know people that I love that wh whose being resonates with me, that mm -hmm. touches something in me, but that's as close as I can get to what I guess is spirituality. Right, so spirituality is not really a Jewish word. <laughs> it's kind of a loaded term, I think. It's not, um, it's not, I think, the way that Judaism would talk about, like in traditional sources. It's not really, it, it's a kind of English word that we can kind of tape on as a category, but it's not really a Jewish word. I would say that um, Kabbalah, the sort of receipt of Jewish wisdom is a framework for thinking about um, who, who we are and what our purpose is and how we are related to God. And, um, and so that is um, not, you know, not necessarily something that everyone is interested in, but it's also something that I think has been missing in the Jewish community for such a long time that for people who are looking for it, it can actually be hard to find. And uh, for those who um, can benefit from it and can f feel enriched by that, um, th there's an opportunity for us to talk about it a little bit. That makes sense? Yeah. Okay. Cool. So I'm asking the question again, just to go back to the, to the things that are, I sort of bolded in this source sheet, some of the things that are, um, some of the aspects of the lesson that Yonatan teaches here, and I was just wondering if any of this particularly resonates with you. If there's anything about it that you could see like as a, um, a different way of thinking about something, or is something a way that you already think about something? I was kind of wondering what, a, what is a prophet? Um, I was thinking about you know, a, a rabbi being a prophet, a teacher being a prophet, a mentor being a prophet. Hmm. It seems natural. It doesn't seem foreign. The mm -hmm. idea of 
want to understand the term prophet from, from a Jewish perspective, from your perspective? Right. So prophets, I mean, in ancient times, prophets were receiving um, direct messages from God, right. ma mainly in visions, when they, were, um, they would lose consciousness and they would receive a vision, and they'd have to kind of piece out what that vision, like take apart what that vision meant. And sometimes the visions would be clear enough for them to, um, sometimes the visions would be clear enough for them to be able to communicate them. But sometimes they had communications that were not really intended for, every, for the entire generation. And so we don't have those prophets. There were, in ancient times, there were prophecy schools where people would learn how to, um, how to elevate themselves to the point where they might have the opportunity of receiving prophecy. Prophecy is actually entirely in the hands of God. It's not something that we can actually uh, earn or um, that we can cause. Um, whether Hashem wants to talk to us is completely in Hashem's control. So, um, so I mean, I think there's something that, that there's a different kind of thing that is like sort of a lower level that we might call Ruach HaKodesh, the ability to kind of receive some sort of divine inspiration, and that we can have access to today, um, but, you know, through effort and... Um, so, um, but that's so. I, that's what that's what we okay. what Jews mean when we talk about prophecy. Thank you. Okay. The question was. Yes. Is there any? Is there something from this page that sort of resonates with you? So what resonated with me was uh, we had bolded out. Uh, Hashem is always guiding the world to its destination. In the end, we will find that everything we experience is part of a larger story, all for a purpose, all ultimately for. Mm -hmm. So to me, that just kind of reframes the the Gamzulatova idea mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that no matter what happens and how it seems, it's really all for the good. Yes. And as as humans, how we perceive things isn't always what God's plan is. Yes. It's not, yes. It's not ultimately for the good because sometimes we think, what a terrible thing. But ultimately, it turns. Right. So, and go ahead, sorry. Yeah, and, and ultimately, it is how you have it for the good. Yes. I mean, and this is a fundamental tenet of Judaism, that, um, that even though that we're sort of actors in a much, much larger story than we can possibly understand, like droplets in an ocean, um, who can't understand why, the, why there are waves. Um, and so we have to... Um, so in some, I was just learning about this from Rav Sutton today, this idea of like holding the tension of opposites that sometimes, that we have to both, we can sort of live through difficult times in our own lives and in the world, hopefully not, but we can live through those, knowing that those things are difficult while also maintaining faith that there is a bigger picture in which somehow it all makes sense. And that that can be actually a very comforting thing if you can if you can get there to the place of being able to trust that God knows what He's doing, even if we don't understand it right now. Is that what mysticism is all about? Um, it's a piece of it. So um, so let's uh, so let's go on to the the mysticism. <laughs> um, so. Um, so I just want to understand what you just said. So you're saying that even if there's sorrow and even if there's terrible things going on in the world, God 
is aware of it and has a plan, and it's his desire that that happen. If somebody has a a, um, a severely handicapped child, God intended it because maybe it'll teach that person to be stronger. So, well, it's very hard for us to understand why. So, like, when we kind of jump to the answer of why, that's, like, just our list of limited human brains. We could make a guess, but we don't really know. I think... Um, it's not to say, so that's a kind of a good example because it's not that someone did something wrong to cause it, right? I think that some of the times things happen and, um, you know, it was caused by someone's free will, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't, isn't all sort of working it all out. <laughs> um, it's being worked out in the grand scheme of things. And for in that kind of picture, we don't know why that happened, but the, fundamentally, it's a Jewish belief that that it's it's part of a grander plan. It's part of a bigger plan that we can't necessarily understand. So these are good so questions. Mysticism. Do you then begin to understand it? Is that? I think that this particular aspect of um, of what I've learned from Rev Sutton is um, it's as an element of amuna, right? It's fundamentally that's. I mean, you could say that that's you could say that that's mysticism. But I'm not here to sell you on mysticism. I'm here to teach you um, as essential elements of Judaism that I've learned, some of which I've learned in a sort of Jewish mystical context, some of which I've learned in other contexts. Um, but that, that's really a matter of amuna. but that's a, a faith, but that's a, a fundamental Jewish traditional belief. It is incredibly difficult. I mean, and I don't, I wouldn't, I'm not meaning to actually undersell that. It's incredibly difficult sometimes to understand what's going on. Um, that doesn't, I mean, some, but some of the time, it's incredibly difficult to understand what's going on, and um, it's not really for our minds to understand. I think that's the place to, to remember. Like, it's not really for us, it's not, it's not really for us to understand. It's really, it's, it's not about mentally understanding. It's, it's a matter of kind of ele elevating to a level of trust. Um, so, okay, so let's, let's learn. Let's do some learning. These are good questions, and I'm glad. I appreciate your engagement in the conversation. Um, okay, so what I want to focus on in this conversation is about what Jewish tradition means when it says we are souls. What is a soul, and what does that mean? And so I would like to start with this traditional prayer said during morning blessings. So who's familiar with this prayer? Okay, cool. Okay, so this is a traditional prayer that's said every morning traditionally during morning blessings. And so um, and we're going to look at this prayer in a lot of detail because it's going to teach us a lot about our souls. Okay, so um, would you like to read it? Sure. Okay. My God. Shama you placed within me pure. You created it, you formed it, you breathed it into me, and you sustain it within me. And you will take, you will eventually take it from me, and you will restore it to me in the ultimate future. Now, therefore, as long as the Nishama is within me, I thank you with my very being. 
Hashem, my God, and God, my ancestors, director of all events, Lord of all souls, blessed are you, Hashem, who restores souls to dead, lifeless bodies. Thank you. Great English translation. Thank you. This is um, so we're going to get more into we're going to have a more complicated English translation in a little bit. But this is so this is this is deep. Yes. This is really deep. Yes. So first thing in the morning. Yes. And say thank you, God, for restoring life to my dead body. Yes. Yes, yeah. indeed. So okay. So what can this so what can this prayer teach us about our souls? So Rabbi Chaim Vital wrote in the name of his master, the Ari, the sage is taught the soul has five names. Their order, from the lowest level up, is Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama, Chaya, and Yechida. There is no doubt that these names were not assigned incidentally or randomly. Know rather that the essence of man or woman is the spiritual component that is clothed within the physical body, while the body is merely a garment. So when Rav Chaim Voloshin says, actually, that it is the, the garment is a shoe. That the, um, the essence of a person is clothed within the physical body like the, the body is a garment and the garment is a shoe. Um, it's like a shoe because the body is actually only containing the lowest part of the soul, like our foot is in the lowest part of our body. There's a much bigger part of our soul um, that is not contained in our body. This, so you could think of your body as like the shoe to your soul. So um, he goes on to say, it is known that man is the connecting link between all four of the supernal worlds, Asiya, completion, action, Yitzira, formation, Berea, creation, and Atsilut, emanation. Okay, so stay with me. We're going to define all these terms. Um, but this being the case, a person must contain within himself aspects or traces of all four worlds, plus a hint of the level above them all, called Adam Kadmon. Indeed, as we shall explain within man, these are called Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama, Chaya, and Yechida. Okay, so by, by the time we're finished with this, you'll know a lot more about what these words mean. So, but we learn from this that there is a direct correlation between the levels of souls and the levels of worlds. And as a result, a person's actions, besides having a direct impact on that person's soul, also have a direct impact on the corresponding spiritual worlds. So, um, and what this means is that when a person performs righteous deeds, it unifies the levels of his soul and the entire system of mystical universes as well. And the opposite occurs when a person misuses his or her soul powers. So it's, I, I realize that you may not have heard about the mystical universes before, but there, Kabbalah includes this structure of mystical universes. And I'll get into explaining a little bit more about how the soul relates to them. But the important thing to understand is that there are way more dimensions than we see in front of us. Um, there's just so much more than what we can see in this world that we, like physical world that we live in. And, um, and Kabbalah teaches that there are these other universes at other levels and that we in our souls actually contain, contain a piece at each of these different universe levels. So, um, and the actions that we take affect not just our own souls, but also all the different universes in which we, inha which we inhabit. So mostly as human beings, we think of ourselves as bodies. And if we think of souls at all, 
we imagine that we have a soul. It can be hard to picture where that soul is, though. Right? It's like, where, where, where is that soul? I don't know. But if we think of ourselves as souls that have bodies, it can kind of change the way we think about that. So how does it change things if we think of ourselves as souls rather than as bodies? So many ways. I mean, the first one I would just share, many of love to hear others, is that we're not actually here. And that here means like, where's my brain? Like, I can point to it. Where's my heart? I can point to it. But if you're a part of something that's kind of fluid and transient and interconnected, you're actually not merely in one spot, or in, in, in the spatial or temporal sense. Like you're actually a part of different realms of time and space. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so that's, that's the first one that comes to mind, yeah. Yeah. Others? What is it like if you think of yourself as a soul? I, I cannot think of myself as a soul without imposing my body on whatever I think the soul is. So, uh, in fact, Isabel and I were talking about this before. I have my own feelings about the soul, a little bit different than this, but when I think about it, when I tell people what my conclusions are about the soul, I have to subliminally put a body around it before I can mm. think the soul. The soul is just too amorphous for me to think. Mm. Okay. Anybody else? To me, it's almost as if the body allows my soul to go do the work. It's destined to do, it's wanting to do in, in this lifetime, in this Gilgal, so to speak. Yes. Yeah. So it's body is just really just the vehicle. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way of thinking of it, that the, the soul is what is sort of using your body, or you, are use, you as a soul are using your body to do the actions in this world that you can do. That's a good way of thinking of it. Well, the other thing I was going to say is that it feels like the soul is life itself. Mm -hmm. Because if you go back to Elo, Elo Kai Neshama, it says, Hamach Hazir Neshamot Mitzkarim that it ends with God restores souls to dead lifeless bodies, which, which implies that at night we, there's an element of soul departure, mm -hmm. and that body is as if it's dead without that soul there, to some or to some small degree. Right. And so, without that access to soul, we're almost we're almost a lifeless being. You know? That's right. Good. So. We talked in this last little segment here about the soul having five different levels, and we're going to go into a lot more about that. But does that, does that matter, that your soul is not just like, like one thing, but actually like a whole series of different pieces that inhabit different universes? Does that, does that change any way that we think about our souls? And this is another thing that I want to say, because I, I want to go back to what Steve said about that's hard to visualize where the soul is. It's interesting because like, I always think that I'm visualizing it out here, but when Rav Sutton talks about it, he actually talks about it as sort of like, it's in, it's in, in a way that we can't even think about in. Like it's not in our body, it's somehow, somehow like it's, it's, it's inside of something that we can't envision. So it's not so much that we go out as much as that we go in to our soul. And um, so it's, one has to, I think, use imaginative sort of, aspects of the brain to be able to try and put this like to kind of visualize but 
you should also know that it's very hard for your brain to visualize, and that's okay, because this is a conversation for your soul, not a conversation for your brain. Yeah. And what is it, how does it change things for you to be thinking of yourself as a soul, knowing that a soul is a piece of the divine? Well, it helps uh, with humility, for one thing. Oh, interesting. Myself as a relatively small piece of interesting. the universe. Yeah. That's funny, because that is the opposite of where I would have imagined it would have gone. To be thinking of yourself as part of being, as being part of the divine also can leave you feeling that you're um, holy and special, but I hear you about that. It also makes you feel small. Yeah, I get that. Any other thoughts about this? We can dive in to the, all the elements of the soul. Okay, so the soul is actually one unit attached to the one God, yet separated into, graduated into separate levels representing different aspects of its relationship to the body and the physical world. So the highest level of the soul, I have a little chart here, the highest level of the soul, Yechida, is rooted in God's oneness, and the lowest aspect of the soul, Nefesh, resides in the physical organism that we call the body. So as Rav Chaim Vital has informed us, these five levels of the soul correspond to the five levels of the universe. Um, so now let's talk about each, a little more about each level. So we're going <laughs> to stay with it. <laughs> um, okay, so the word, the word yechida, so we'll start from the top. So the word yechida comes from both echad, oneness, and yichud, unity. So on the level of yechida, the light is so great that the soul has no separate existence apart from the ansof. At that level, all aspects of the soul that will eventually branch downwards and outwards are still included in a state of complete undifferentiated unity, connect directly, like part of part of God. That's the highest level of the soul, Yechita. So the second level of the soul is Chaya. And that word, Chaya, derives from both Chai, life, and Chayut, life force. Chaya is the life force of the soul. And at this level, the soul is still bound to all other souls. So in the Tanakh, connection with this level is called being bound up in the bundle of life. I think that's a word, that, an expression that sometimes gets used at funerals. But actually, we all have that level of our soul right now. It's not a funeral conversation. Um, so at this level, we actually experience our deep soul connection with other people. They're all created B'Tselem Elohim. So the next level of the soul is more familiar to us. It's called neshama. And the word neshama is like neshima, which means breath. So on this verse, so on the verse in Bereshit, which we just read, and God breathed into Adam's nostrils a nishmat chaim, the soul breath of life, the Kabbalah adds, one who exhales, exhales from his innermost being. A man's neshama is an extension of God's neshima. So in a highly attuned state of consciousness, 
we can realize that God is breathing our divine soul into us at every moment, no less than when he breathed the original Nishmat Chaim into Adam. We are continually receiving the breath of life through our neshamas. So ruach is often translated as spirit, but the word is also, also has connotations of wind, air, or direction. Ruach represents a person's character, his ability to choose a direction, make responsible decisions, be held accountable for those decisions. So ruach is actually what you were talking about. Ruach is kind of what uses the body to, ruach is sort of like our indwelling, like active, moving around, um, doing things, part of our soul. And then the word nefesh comes from the root nefesh, to rest. Nefesh is the lowest extremity of the soul, almost totally identified with the body and specifically with the bloodstream. So, um, so we have all of these different levels of the soul. And now I'm going to switch papers to go to the next place that I want to go to, but you can stay right where you are. I just have a different page here. Okay, so in the human personality, yechida corresponds to our deepest will, Chaya is the level of preconceptual or undifferentiated mind. Nishama corresponds to the process of thought itself. And nishama, I taught this in a different lesson last week. Nishama actually is not really in our body. It's kind of over here. It sort of hovers above our body. It doesn't actually, it's, it's beyond our brains. Um, ruach is the power of speech and communication, and nefesh corresponds to the level of action. So psychologically as well, if we start with nefesh, and we move through this sort of inner pipeline of the soul. Let's try and imagine we're moving through this inner pipeline of the soul. We move up from separation, fragmentation, and aloneness to connection, collectivity, and finally to intimate communion, merging, and unity, a deep, deep connection with God. So, um, okay, so now we're going to talk a little more. So one thing that I thought might be interesting would be to talk about which level of the soul you find yourself identifying with the most and which level of the soul is less attainable or feels really unfamiliar to you. So some parts of the soul, despite the things we've been talking about, about the soul being sort of confusing, some parts of the soul are right here. They're easily accessible to us. We know them. So um, which level of the soul do you identify with the most? Ruach seems to me something I can identify with. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the power of speech and communication. And... That, that's very identifiable to me. Some of the others are very abstract. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I have trouble, you know, identifying um, Chaya, Yechida, and you know, the, some of the others. And do any of them seem like, I really would like to learn more about that or access that more? I guess I'd have to learn much more about this before I can answer yeah, that okay. question. Anybody else? When you said move up, I see it entirely differently, mm -hmm. but it's probably the same. I intuitively think of moving out. Mm -hmm. I never think of moving up. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it's all a metaphor. I mean, whether it's up or out, like it's not really up or out. It's really into the spiritual universes that we can't see. So it's not really, so it's fine that you have a different picture in your head. Rav Sutton often says that we sort of use up as a kind of way of thinking, because we think like it, that's a metaphor that is, is embedded in our tradition and it's useful because we're thinking of ourselves as sort of elevating and that's something that we think of. Um, but it's okay. I Thank think, 
it's just, I think it's a, it's, but when we think about it, the, the reason that I think it's useful to think about elevating is because we have all of these visions of that, um, of, I think we think of getting closer to God as being higher. That's not really how it is, um, but I think it's a useful metaphor. And sometimes you can sort of experience, if you try, the experience of being closer to God. And if you think of it as sort of elevating, you can sort of feel that. It reminds me of that notion of timelessness, that what might seem higher at this point in time and another point in time might seem lower, that it kind of gets mixed up over time. Well, I mean, the thing is that we, we, when we talk about higher or lower, in or out, we're talking about physical space. And like you're, I mean, as we've been talking about, the soul is not really bounded by time or space in the same way. I mean, it's bounded by time and space when it's in our bodies, but it has a, it's, it's bigger than that. So. So my soul reacts differently to ritual. Ritual tends to stimulate my soul. Okay. So if I lay Tullison's phone in the morning, uh, I'm starting the day off already kind of a little bit elevated mm-hmm. than just, you know, grabbing a breakfast and running out the door to the world itself. Uh, it it kind of stops me. And like this, Elohai Bishma is one of the first blessings after the Talisim's phone are put on. It's a great start mm-hmm. to working my way through the chakras. And, you know, if I'm at Shabbos at a service, again, another different kind of ritual, more of a group ritual, and my soul, whether it's through singing, through through prayer, through uh, you know, through the congregation itself, again, my soul is going through a different kind of motion mm-hmm. than um, than just sitting at home, laying Tulsa's pillow mm-hmm. in the morning, mm-hmm. uh, service by myself. So it's kind of interesting how one can tweak the soul uh, through ritual. Yeah, I mean, I think what you're pointing to is that there are certain, like when we do mitzvot, that that is um, fulfilling for our souls, right? So one thing to think about is like, when do you experience your soul? Maybe it's hardly at all, but maybe, like I, I heard a class where I was talking and people were saying, well, you know, describing various rituals, like the kind that you were just describing. There are different, that our, our souls are um, attuned to mitzvot, um, our Jewish souls are attuned to those, and that when we do them, so like I've been working on when I light candles, like being present to my soul, right? So there are, there are moments when we're actually in, invested in an actual doing of a mitzvah, and, and that is a... Um, that could be a moment when we could experience our soul. And some of the time, you know, obviously like we're sitting around watching TV or scrolling through Facebook, then maybe less so. <laughs> less, less inspiring to our soul. Yes. But doing sadaka, going out, whether it's a soup kitchen or whether it's just doing something. Sure. Not only does it get you out of yourself, but I guess it really, you know, to me it really puts me in touch. Yeah. Soul level. Yeah, so there's, I mean, I think what you're pointing to is there's a fulfilling, like there's a feeling of being fulfilled that might be associated, that 
with um, with a sort of soul satisfaction. Some things are, yeah. I think it kind of answers why am I here? Mm -hmm. Am I here to just really scroll through through Facebook, right. or am I really here to be doing things for others? Mm -hmm. so. Right, or to be doing um, di various different kinds of righteous deeds. Yeah. Yes. Good. Okay. Um, cool. So. Um, now, with the help of Rev Sutton's additional notes, let's look at this prayer again. So this time I'll read it in Hebrew and in English so you can kind of hear the relationship. Um, so each level of the soul is actually illuminated in the words of this one beautiful prayer. So um, I'll read it. So I'm going to start. I'm going to read it in Hebrew like, uh, and then English line by line. So Elokai Nishamash Natatabi Tahora He. So in Sephardi, it doesn't have the He, but so, my God, the neshama, the divine soul you have placed within me, is pure. And that corresponds to the dimension of atzilut and the soul level of chaya. This is the level where we're connected at all levels of soul. Um, all the souls are connected. Atavirata, you created it, corresponding to the dimension of bria, which means creation, and the soul level of neshama. Atayitzarta, you formed it, corresponding to the dimension of Yitzira, formation, and the soul level of Ruach. Atanefachtabi, you breathed it into me, corresponding to the dimension of Asiya and the soul level of Nefesh. Ve'atamashamra bekirbi, and you sustain it within me. Ve'ata'atidlitla mimeni ulechachazirabi le'atidlavo. And although you will eventually take it from me, both when I next fall asleep as well as when I depart this world, you have promised that you will faithfully restore it to me in the ultimate future at the time of the resurrection. Now, therefore, as long as the neshama is within me, I thank you with my very being using the breath you breathed into me, Hashem, my God, God of my ancestors, director of all events, Lord of our, all souls. So um, in our morning blessing of Elokai Neshama, we begin above in the soul's root in godliness in Atzilut, and we work our way down through Bria, Yitzira, and Yitzia, these various different worlds, in order to then work our way back up to connect with that pure godliness through our own efforts. And once we understand this dynamic, we can continue going up in order to bring down greater consciousness of Hashem's light into every aspect of our life, in order to ascend even higher, in order to bring down more of his light going on and on forever. So and in a sense, by doing that, we pave a pathway of consciousness, a pathway that was already here, but in order to bring it fully present, we take an active part in paving it by be willing to go all the way up to the top level of our soul as high as we can go and then bring that light back down. So Rabbi Nachman of Breslov teaches on this prayer. Thus, even when the neshama is sent down through the lower worlds of Bria and Yitzira and incarnates in Asiya, it has the ability to use its seichel, its inherent intelligence, to connect to the godly seichel in all things and then to rise up from level to level and from universe to universe to apprehend, know, and grasp pure godliness, as it were, above and beyond all the worlds. And in this sense, everything was created, Berea, formed, Yitzira, and completed, Asiya, 
Um, so brought forth from the highest level of godliness to the lowest level of physical existence solely that we could apprehend and know and bond with the transcendent aspect of God's existence. That we can, it, it's all here so that we can climb up in our soul levels and connect ourselves with God and be present to that connection. So we live in a physical world and we experience ourselves as separate and unique. That's the level of nefesh. And that's important because God actually wants each of us to develop our own unique talents and fulfill our unique mission in a way that no one else can, and that's the level of ruach. But the divine energy behind this separate identity roots all the way up to our higher soul, the shama, and higher yet to our unique connection with the collective or transpersonal soul of Israel and all of humanity in the level of chaya and higher yet to our unbroken connection with the infinite Insof himself at the level of Yechida. So, um, and what's the meaning of the end of this prayer? So if a person is unable to attain this while alive in this world, he will at least attain it in the future in the world to come. And that's the meaning of that although you will eventually take it from me when I depart this world, you will faithfully restore it to me in the ultimate future at the time of the resurrection. So this is a, um, so there's a lot to say about that, but one of the things to say about it is that we are, when we, when we do the work that we do in this world, our ability to do our righteous deeds, our ability to do our Torah learning, our ability to do mitzvot is limited. But we, when we do the effort in this world, then Hashem gives us the full blessing that we couldn't necessarily receive in our physical bodies in this world in at the time of the resurrection in the world to come. So... Um, so this is what I wanted to share with you tonight. And I want to ask, how does what you've learned change the way you think about your own soul? And how could it change the way you think about other people in your life who are also souls and who you're connected to through the level of Chaya? I guess one of my questions would be, where does, when does Rob Sutton believe is the time of resurrection? Is that when everybody is religious and everybody does mitzvot? and everybody does everything right, and there's no criminals in the world. When is the resurrection? <sighs> the Yankees never win again. <laughs> um, I think there's... Okay, so I'm going to not talk about resurrection. I'm going to talk about Geula, um, because it's just easier for me to... Because I think that they're related, but it's easier for me to talk about Geula. I think that um, we're living through an interesting time. The Jewish people are living in the land of Israel for the first time in, what, like 2,000 years? Um, not, like, whatever, the amount of time is a little less than 2,000 years if you add it all up together, but, like, seriously, like, millennia. Um, there's, um, there are a lot of people learning all different kinds of interesting Torah. There are a lot of people who are interested in Judaism. There's, there's potential in the world right now. Um, I think whether... Um, whether we merit to um, to achieve Geula, to receive the times of the Mashiach, is um, kind of in our hands. And I don't. I, I mean, I I think all we can do is do our best. Every person. Yeah, but my question is, when does Rav Sutton believe we will have Geula? Um, you know. 
know. Well, what, you're asking me to speak for someone who, who might one day okay, hear so this. So what do you think? What do you think? Um, what, uh, what does the Jewish, what, is, what do the Jewish people have to do in your mind to, to create or to allow for the resurrection? I think, I think we every each... Every person who's dead will be resurrected. Well, that is a, that is a traditional Jewish belief. Um, and I think that... Um, I think that what I would say is that each individual person should work on growing themselves the best that they can, on learning, on doing whatever mitzvot are there for them to do, on being better people, being better Jews, but also being better to each other. I mean, to me, there's a lot of, there are a lot of, there's, a, there's plenty of areas for growth. <laughs> and I think that, um, and I guess that um, what I, what I guess I've, I've started to think is that um, I think that Hashem wants this, wants to bring us to a better place, a better level in the world, um, to elevate humanity, to come to a, a better world, which I think we all could agree we would love to see. Um, and I think that what the teach, what my teachers would say is that it's a matter of people wanting that, asking for it, yeah, showing that we... Do, I think it starts with Jewish people. Um, asking for it, wanting it, trying to deserve it by being as good as we can be. That's, that's what I would say, although it's really, um, that's a matter for, for God to decide, not for me. So, that was a fair question. I brought up resurrection, so. <laughs> um, it's a, I feel like it's a, a very challenging conversation, but it was a fair question. But I do want to go to the question of, like, how does what you've learned tonight, can you think of any way that what you've learned tonight can change the way you think of your own soul or other people who are also souls? I use the concept of a soul when I'm struggling with a difficult person. Um, and uh, a person I really have difficulty relating to. Um, obnoxious people, let's say. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Allows me to take a deep breath and change my perception. That, that's that's, a, that's beautiful to remember. I'm just saying, repeating it because I think nobody in, in podcast world will have heard you. Um, that to relate to when you're dealing with a difficult person, to remember that that person has a pure soul, right? Um, and I mean, in terms, believe that every person has a pure soul. Yes. So whether a person is in touch with their pure soul or is receiving light through their pure soul has to do with a lot of other things. But every soul is pure. Well, it's true that every person has, to, has choices. You have you, mm -hmm. you know, this yetahara and yetahara. Yes. So you, you can do good, and there's a lot of people, unfortunately, in the world who do bad. Yes. They both have souls. Yes. So in my mind, one has a good soul and one has a bad soul. So that's so I hear why you're saying that, but the way I think the proper correct way to think about it, based on what I've learned, is that um, the soul of each of those people is pure, 
What is different is whether the person is connected to their soul. Because um, a person can be um, like just kind of going about doing their things and like kind of fundamentally like almost fully disconnected from the higher levels of their soul. And they don't have to worry about listening to the higher levels of their soul and they can do whatever they want. Um, the more that a person is connected to the higher levels of their soul, hopefully um, they're receiving blessings, but also um, uh, understanding what the right thing is to do. And hopefully by doing good things and by being willing to be connected to our souls, we can actually um, re receive that um, and uh, we can deepen our connection and also become better people. It's kind of a self-reinforcing cycle. Whereas um, a person who is mostly disconnected from their soul is, um, you know, um, can be doing bad things, but that doesn't mean this. the soul that they received is pure. Souls are always pure. They're little tiny sparks of God. So, and that's why I think that people always have the opportunity for tshuva, right? Because they, they can always reestablish that connection because what the soul's there. Tshuva, um, return, repentance. Um, to be able to, um, that's why people can always, um, you know, receive forgiveness for the things that they've done wrong and return to being better people. Another very fundamental Jewish concept. Um, because the soul is always pure. Yes. 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 I mean, we've just been through um, a process, hopefully, of tshuva, of return. And, uh, right, right, exactly. And so, um, yeah, so the soul is pure. And so there's always hope for everyone. I missed the very beginning of your talk about Rob Sutton. Mm -hmm. Who is Rob Sutton? Yeah, he's, um, so I just, so I, what I said in the beginning is that I, in order to write this book, um, <laughs> The Prophetess, I wanted to write about, I wanted to explain in relative, so what we've talked about tonight is way more complicated than anything that's in this book. Um, so what I wanted to be able to do was share um, some elements, like sort of light elements of Jewish mysticism so that people who were seeking some kind of connection with Judaism, they could have access to the kind of wisdom that Judaism has to offer. And so one of the things I took on was to be learning Jewish mysticism, and Rav Sutton is one of my teachers. So, um, so there are other teachers that I've learned from. There are some teachers that are referenced in the book. Um, I have like a little bibliography in the back of the book, but um, but this particular teaching came from him, and from materials that he shared, and I kind of shaped it and organized it and and learned to teach it and ran it through with him, and so that's why he's getting so much attention because these materials originally came from him. Is he in Maryland or he's in he's in Jerusalem. Yes, yes, yes. So yeah, so he teaches on Facebook Live. Um, every he taught today, every Tuesday, um, and he's it's public and very beautiful. So, um, so I've been privileged to be his student. I mean, not just through Facebook Live. We've also learned in person and spoken and things Does like he that. I think that to attain the title of Kabbalist, you would have to be. Um, I don't really, I, I don't think that he would say that. I think that he would say he's teach. he might say that he's teaching Kabbalah. I think being a Kabbalist is a, 
I ask us of all this controversy about the Kabbalah Center and Rabbi yes. and all of this stuff that we read about and that the concern. Yeah. So what I read in one of his books is that, um, you know, that, like so some of this wisdom has sort of gotten out in that way, in a way that's not helpful. And so, I mean, so he kind of comes from the tradition, I think, of R.E.A. Kaplan, and that that these lessons are maybe needed in our generation more than ever, and so like it should be okay to teach them um, carefully and you know the responsible pieces. Um, so, um, but you know, especially given that you know they're being not used well, I think by some that we should be teaching the truth, like the actual stuff, so that people can use it and not think that Kabbalah is what is coming from there. So, um, okay. Well, and something else, I mean, <clears throat> in terms of parenting and education, look, I, when we think about Jewish education, we think, well, I don't know, we, but many think about, like, these technicalities, right? There's really important stuff. History of Jews in Israel, you know, how to do rituals, and what are the holidays, and Hebrew, of course. But do we think about soul education? Right, whatever that we want that to look like. Do we actually have any transcendental component to how we think about raising kids and to educating uh, you know, in our programs in a way that, regardless of where one ends up in life, Reformed, Conservative, Orthodox, Christian, Buddhist, that like they're going to carry with them this gift we gave them. Of, so I think that's one thing I'm, I'm thinking a little bit about how like you feed, you feed it, you learn early on how to feed your soul and how to be fed by it mm -hmm. in a way that sustains you long term. Right, I think that's a very smart idea, and I think that it's not it's not often taught in schools in Jewish schools, um, and I think maybe some work has been do, going on now with Ayeka um, and some other types of thinking about this. I think that you know I think there's there was like a big swing away from mysticism from Hasidism from that kind of thing through most of sort of at least American mainstream Jewish life. And, um, you know, to our, I mean, I think I understand maybe, and there's only so, you know, we don't want to um, think that that's all that there is to Judaism, but I also think that sometimes it's the, it's the part that makes it all feel alive. And so we should, we should have some opportunities and some moments where we actually think about this because it can enrich all the other things that we do. Okay. So. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklewitz. I hope you enjoyed listening to this fascinating lecture. At VBM, we strive to bring you only the best in Jewish educational programming. To do this, we host a wide variety of events throughout our learning season including panels, classes, and lectures, like the one you just listened to. Please consider going to www.valleybetemidrash.org and donating to VBM to support meaningful Jewish education in the greater Phoenix Jewish community, indeed all around the country and the world. Thank you so much for listening.